All right, uh, so I'm going to talk on the subject of, of marriage. I'm going to have a lot of points. So please turn to Ephesians chapter 5. read verses 22 through the end of the chapter. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you Love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for uh, our wives. And Lord, um, today uh, we want to confess, Lord, the, uh, because of our frailty and because of our selfishness and because of our sinfulness, Lord, uh, the difficulty uh, that accompanies marriage often. Uh, and so, Lord, today I pray that we would be equipped, uh, that we would be equipped by your word to love our wives more, and, Lord, bring glory to you, for uh, the marriage is a picture of the gospel. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, So I don't know who I'm speaking to today. I know that some of you are married and perhaps some of you are, are not. Uh, maybe some of you used to be married and you will be married in the future. Maybe some of you used to be married, you'll never be married again. But whether you are married uh, now or whether you're to be married in the future, uh, whatever the case, this is a good topic and it, it is a good topic. Uh, simply because it is a topic that is found in, in the Bible. So, for example, if I were to be teaching this hour on the subject of head coverings or widows, uh, that would be a good topic to teach on for the simple reason that it is in the Bible. So don't say to yourself, well, because I am not married or will never be married again, it doesn't apply to me. Uh, if it is in the Word of God, it applies to you, and we are the body of Christ, and we should know about all things that God has revealed in, in his word. Um, I have a very good marriage. I'm not saying that. I'm just going to shut the blinds. Oh. Don't go blind. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
about to hear a voice, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Um, uh, so I, I have a good marriage, uh, and that's for two reasons. First of all, because I have a good wife, and secondly, because I have a kind God. And I know a lot about marriage. Um, I've been in ministry for 35 years, and I have uh, observed many marriages, hundreds of them up close, and I myself have been married for 34 years, and so I have a lot of experience. Uh, so I have a good marriage, and I know a lot about the subject, but yet at the same time, uh, I myself am one who stands in need of grace in this aspect of my life, and I would say maybe even more so in this area than any other area of my life. I am a, a fellow pilgrim and one who is still learning and still growing, and I still need help, and I still need forgiveness, and most of all, in my marriage, I still need grace. Um, so, what I'm going to speak on now is the subject of marriage. I'm going to be speaking topically, and I'm going to give you a list. Now, uh, just like in the next section, uh, this is a list. It is my list. It is not the best list. Uh, it is just a list. It's going to be extremely practical. This is not philosophical. This is not theoretical. Uh, this is a list, and here's what would delight me more than anything else. If in this list of items that I give you, you're able to leave and you are able to take one thing and you, to, you are to apply it, it will be a greater success than I could ever imagine. So I do not expect you to remember all of these points. Certainly you're not going to be able to apply all of these points. If you can just latch on to one and apply it, uh, your wife will be a happier woman. So, first of all, Understand, I am working off of the assumption that you are that you are saved, uh, that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that the Word of God is your authority. Uh, if you're not saved, uh, you need to acknowledge that you are a sinner. You need to believe that Christ died for your sins. You need to repent of your sins and believe that Jesus died in your place and that he rose again, and you need to call upon him. And I know I said that very quickly and very abruptly, and if you'd like to know more about what that means, please uh, come to me or come to you, one of your pastors, one of your elders, and ask, because that's the most important thing. But I'm working off of the assumption this morning that you are already saved. I have 18 points. I have 18 points, so uh, I have... 35 minutes to give those 18 points, so we better, we better get rolling. Number one, and, and I've put this one uh, in the number one position because in many ways I feel that this is the most important of all the points, and that is pray together. I think if you get this one right, I don't think that you need the other, I don't think you need the other 17. So I don't know how many couples I have counseled over the years. It would be in the hundreds. Do you know, brothers, never once, never once have I ever met with a couple in a biblical counseling situation where the couple has prayed together regularly. I'm sure that there might be someone in the world who has a bad marriage where they pray together every day. I'm sure that Sasquatch might exist somewhere. I've never seen him. And I have never seen a couple where if they pray together every day, 
and, I, and I'm not just talking about like throwing the prayer up, but if they really pray together, I have, they have never had to come see me. They might exist, but I have never seen them. First uh, Peter 3, 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What is implied here, it's not even commanded, it is implied here, it is assumed here, that what you would be doing with your wife would be praying with her. And so if this is one thing you could just... You might even want to just get up and walk out of the room right now. I don't pray with my wife. I need to pray with my wife. Start praying with your wife. And really, you will notice that a lot of things will change and will change immediately for the better. Um, when I am in an argument with my wife, and I am trying uh, with great enthusiasm to make my point, and, and, it, and it starts to become heated, and... And, and, and I'm becoming animated, and I am illustrating, and I am using sarcasm, and I am really, and, and I am really like driving my point home as to why I am right and why she is wrong. And it really starts to now get in, intense, and she will stop and she will say, oh, can we please just pray? It's like, ugh! No, I don't want to pray right now because I just want to make my point right now. We, we'll, we'll pray, we'll pray, we'll, we'll pray in just a minute, but let me make my point right now because the reason why I don't want to pray is because I know from experience that the, that the moment that I bow my head before a holy God and I start to say, Lord, thank you for forgiving us of our sins, I have to interrupt my prayer and I have to say, Anna, you know, I mean, we, we, we've got some details to work out here, but, but the fact of the matter is, I'm filled with anger right now, which is a sin. I'm filled with pride right now, which is a sin. My attitude stinks right now. I feel that I must be right right now. And I need you to forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, and forgive me. And now, let's pray. And we pray. Really, me being right and making my point, it all becomes, it just evaporates when we are coram Deo before the face of God. So the one thing I would say, not just when you are in the midst of an argument, but preemptively, and for the purpose of communing with the God that loves you, Pray together. Point number two. Christ-like selflessness is the key to happiness. Uh, what the world would tell you is that you need to be assertive. You need to stand up for yourself. You don't need to be a doormat. You do not need to let anyone run over you. Uh, um, and, and what you need to do is you need to make sure that you are happy and that you are pleased. That is the message that you will get from the world. And, and that's basically how adultery happens. Uh, basically, my happiness is more important than my spouse. And if you consider the Lord Jesus Christ, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Point number two is, is this. The more selfless you are, 
the happier your marriage will be. The more assertive you are, the more you must have your way, the more miserable your marriage will be and the more miserable your wife will be. Um, point number three, I said this last night to the men, and that is have sex all the time. Have sex all the time. First uh, Corinthians chapter 7 in verse 3, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise <coughs> the wife to her husband. Um, and then it says in verse 5, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. <clears throat> What's the purpose of, of sex? Well, the purpose of sex is, is what? Is to have children. Uh, but it is also for the purpose of pleasure. And what you need to know is that God knows about sex. God knows more about sex than you do. God invented sex. Sex is wonderful. Sex is fun. Anyone who says that it's not has never had sex. Uh, it, it, is, it, is, it is a great delight, and it is a gift from God. But what I am noticing more and more, and sadly... Um, is that men uh, are addicted to pornography and men in the church are, predict are addicted to pornography and, and so I have a group of 30 men or thereabouts, a few more actually in my church who at the beginning of every month uh, I send them a text and it's a simple text and it says did you walk the last month in purity or did you look at pornography and will you commit with me for the rest of the month to walk in purity? Uh, guys, we are, are being attacked by the devil, uh, not only with, with pornography on the computer, but also just with wasting time, um, um, uh, with, with, with bitterness that would happen between a husband and a wife, with, with having a, a desire for other women, Yet the design of God is that you should delight in the wife of your youth, and you should be uh, you should be overcome. You should be enraptured with her. I just say, guys, um, you know, I, I don't want to get into the biology of it all, and I don't want to uh, uh, speak to you know. Uh, I, I don't want to get into like I don't want to make this a plumbing lesson or anything. But all things being equal, all things being equal, have sex all the time. Number four, learn how to communicate in love. Learn how to communicate in love. As I said in the last section, Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Uh, one of my pet peeves that I have with my wife, um, and really this is not a flaw of hers, this is just the way that she does things. When she tells me something, she doesn't like get to the point but she will tell a story all along the way and I will be listening to each link in the story to say is this why you're telling me is this why you're telling me is this why you're telling me and then I will stop and I will say bottom line just give me the bottom line give me the bottom line give me the end and then come and fill in and this will hurt her feelings very much and she'll say I I don't want to give you the bottom line. I want to, I want to tell you the story. I want it to go. 
And, and this is nothing more than selfishness on my part. I need to be loving toward her and let her communicate with me, and we need to learn to communicate with one another. And, and the thing, and this is just really practical in our lives, is that we don't talk very well around the house. Uh, we don't talk very well around the house because the phone is always ringing. We don't talk well around the house because there is the temptation for a television to be on. We don't talk well around the house because there is always something to do around the house. Like the list of things to do never comes to an end. So if you say, let's sit down and have a talk, it almost seems like a waste of time because there's a pile of laundry to be, uh, to be folded and there are some dishes that need to be done and there is someone from the church that needs some help with this, that, or the other. So the way that we have discovered for our marriage to work is that we have to leave the house and we have to go for a walk. And, I mean, this, this isn't really like deep theology here. We kind of learn how to communicate by going on walks and talking to one another when we are not interrupted by everything that is going on in our house. You say, why did I take my Saturday to come listen to this? This is like really simple stuff. Um, number five, divorce is not an option. Now, I do understand uh, theologically, divorce can be an option if there is fornication or if there is abandonment. There, there, there are reasons given scripturally. But, but, but I'm talking all things being equal. If, there is, if there's not adultery and if there's not abandonment, then what you basically need to do is you need to take the option and take the word divorce out of your vocabulary. Matthew 19.6 what God therefore has joined together, let not man separate. Uh, and I, I've actually heard some Christian men say this, uh, the woman that I'm living with right now is not the woman that I married. I don't know, guys. I mean, like, run a DNA test on her. She is the same woman. Uh, maybe she's not the woman you thought she would be. Maybe she doesn't look as good as she did 35 years ago. And maybe... She might just be very hard to live with, but the fact of the matter is God has joined you together and you are not to separate. But we had a situation in our church which was very rough. There was a, a, a young lady in our church who was, uh, she was anorexic. And her husband struggled with her uh, through this and she would lose weight and, and she would really look, uh, she would look horrible. Uh, and and so they were meeting with the elders one night, and the young man the young man said, "I, I basically I've, I've had enough, and um, if this doesn't change, I, I'm just gonna I'm going to divorce." And, and one of the elders in our church said to him, "said Okay, we've got all kinds of problems here. We're going to work through it, but you need to stop talking like that right now. Before God, you cannot divorce her." You've got to stick with her. And so, guys, you need to eliminate that from your vocabulary. Number six, forgive. Because you need to be forgiven. Uh, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God, or just as God, in Christ forgave you. 
You see, your wife is not just your wife, but your wife is your sister in Christ. And let him who is among us, who is without sin, cast the first stone. I need to be forgiven. Therefore, I must be forgiven, forgiving toward her. Um, you should not forgive because it is therapeutic or because you would feel a release. But the reason you should forgive your wife is quite simply because of the gospel. And the gospel is of first importance. Number seven, very practical. Listen to me. This will help your marriage. And, and if you want to later send me money because I've helped you with this one thing, I will accept the money. And here is the advice. Here we go unequivocally unequivocally admit you are wrong when admitting that you are wrong do not say I did it because do not say well under the circumstances this is why I let you down if you want to have a happy marriage learn how to say to your wife I am wrong I am sorry. I have no excuse. I should have done this, but instead I did that, and I make no excuses whatsoever. Can you forgive me? I am wrong. Proverbs 28:13. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. A person who is married to someone else who never says they are wrong has a miserable life. You be the one. You be the leader. You are a sinner. Admit it. Own it. Confess it. Repent of it. Uh, number eight. Work hard around the house. Now I know that in different cultures um a woman is the one who is to do all the work in the home. And I'm not here to step on, on your culture. But I have seen in my 35 years of ministry much bitterness that has come from women who have husbands who come home who sit on the sofa and who look at the television while they cook the meals and while they do the dishes and while they take care of the children and they change the diapers and they do the laundry and they clean the house and they pay the bills and you just are sitting around. Uh, I, I don't know any of you. I, I really don't know anything about your marriage. I don't know anything about your home life. But, but I will say to you, that it will be a great encouragement and a great delight to your wife if after you come home you help with the children and you help with the dishes and you sweep the floor and you work together. I'm not saying your wife should sit back and you do nothing, but I have seen so many men uh, who have this macho mystique where they feel that the women has to do all the work. Uh, no, you, you do the work as well. Uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs 24. <clears throat> Listen to verses 30 through 34. I passed by the field of a sluggard, 
uh, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and the stone wall was broken down. And then I considered it, and I looked, and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. And so, brothers, minister to your wives in working hard around the house. <clears throat> Number nine, lead. Lead. Uh, as I read earlier, the husband is the head of the wife. And wives, Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, are to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. <clears throat> uh, in our society of egalitarianism, which uh, really promotes... Uh, the masculinity of women and the femininity of men—you see it in—you see it in the media. Uh, every television show that you will see, the the uh, for the most part—I mean, there are some exceptions—but for the most part, uh, the man is a wimp, the man is a buffoon, the woman is the hero, the woman takes charge. Uh, women are encouraged now in in education and in media uh, to uh, to to really stick up for themselves and to not let a man uh, rule their lives. Uh, it really just is out of line with, uh, the, uh, with the design of God. And if yours is a home where the wife basically is calling the shots, and if you are afraid to do something or to suggest something because your wife is going to jump down your throat, you really have a serious sin problem in the house. And it's not just that your wife is overly aggressive, but it is, it takes two to tango. It is also true that you have given up your God-given role as a leader. Male leadership in the home is godly. It is obedient to scripture. And, and um, the problem is that men will say, now, now here, I've, I've sat through this many times. Here's my, here's me. Here's my desk. Here's the wife. Here's the husband, and they will sit there, and the uh, husband will say to me, he'll he'll show me the Bible, and he'll say, "Could you please tell my wife that she is supposed to submit to me?" And the wife will take the Bible, and she'll point to the same passage, and she will say, "Can you please tell your husband that he, my husband, that he is supposed to love me as Christ loved the church." And there's this war that's going on there. Uh, really, there needs to be this, this intentional strategy whereby the husband is just ridiculously loving the wife and laying down his life for her, and he is always putting himself last. But let there be no mistake. I am the leader in the home. And, and there needs to be this sense where the woman feels protected and the woman actually is finding great delight in submitting to her husband. Um, I, I have seen too many marriages and I don't really know how to say it other than this, where the man is just wimpy and he is going to take the path of least resistance and his wife is the one that rules the home. Uh, gentlemen, learn how to lead. And, and and let me say this, if any of you are single and you are dating someone 
and she, in the dating or in the um, uh, engagement period, is not able to learn to submit, please do not be so foolish as to believe that once she says, I do, that she will start to submit at that point. Uh, if she is not submitting right now, <clears throat> run, run, run before you say, I do. Number 10, <clears throat> learn how to rebuke and to correct and to critique with loving objectivity. Because Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Um, there are times when you will need to correct your wife. But you need to learn, as it says in Colossians, how to have your speech seasoned with salt so that you know how you can answer every person. Your tone needs to be gentle. Uh, your words need to be precise. Um, um, you, 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 you need to be able to correct your wife, but it has to be done in a spirit of gentleness. Uh, because if your demeanor in correcting your wife is not correct, it really doesn't matter how right you are or even how biblical you are, she's not going to listen to you if what you are saying is not said in love. So you do need to correct your wives, and certainly you know that they need to correct you, and when they are correcting you, please listen to them because they're going to save you from having egg in your face in public, but you need to also learn how to correct your wife in a loving way. Um, number 11, be radically committed to your local church. This is a key to happiness in life. There are so many things in our society that vie for our attention. Certainly work is one of them. Uh, there is the idolatry which is associated with sports and with having our children in sports or activities. There is this, this, this idolatry of having this home life where we are secluded and, and there's all kinds of things which vie for our attention. We live in a very, very busy world. But please understand that the imagery uh, that the Lord uses to describe the church is that the church is the bride of Christ, which means that the church is the means by which the kingdom of God is advanced in this world. And I believe and I have seen that families and marriages where the couples are radically committed to the local church, uh, they are happier homes than otherwise. <clears throat> Why? Because the church is the dearest place on earth, as Spurgeon said. Uh, number 12, <clears throat> be hospitable, but at the same time, protect your time together. Uh, number one, is to be hospitable, and then the flip side of that is to protect your time together. Um, I once met a pastor in Mississippi, and he was bragging, and he was saying, right now I live about five miles from the church, but we are moving. Uh, I am moving uh, 20 miles from the church, and what I do is, 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 is I bought a house and there's a, a lot, there are large shrubs out front. And so really you can't even see the house from the road. And so, and then I have a gate and that gate is closed. And then we come into, I come into my house in the evening. When I come into the house in the evening, uh, we, we turn off the lights in the front of our house and we move to the back of our house. And so 
no one is going to come see me and no one is going to come into our home. And I thought, how in the world did do you call yourself a pastor when one of the things that a pastor should do is to be given to hospitality? Uh, you, you, you need to have your home open to people. You need to be hospitable. It says, even as the ladies are learning right now from 1 Peter 4, 9, be hospitable or show hospitality without, without grumbling. Yet at the same time, there needs to be a balance for I have seen women who have been embittered by the fact that their husband is always having someone over at the house and they never get any time together. Uh, one of the things, I guess, and this is, I guess, just a personal preference for me, but I have never quite understood it, and that is that some families will, like, go on vacation with other families. Uh, now, if that is you, and you can make it work, God bless you, I don't want to go on vacation with another family. I want to be with my family, and maybe what you need to do in order to protect your wife and to protect your family is to say, we, by ourselves, our family, we are going to go on vacation alone. So there's this balance of having your home open for the advancement of the gospel and at the same time protecting your home and protecting your wife uh, striking that balance takes great wisdom. Number 13, pay close attention here. Honor your father and your mother, <clears throat> but do not be ruled by them. Honor your father and your mother, but do not be ruled by them. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Listen, there is nothing wrong with getting together every once in a while with grandma and grandpa. But you need to live your life and you need to raise your own children. Ephesians 6, 4. You fathers bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You need to live your lives and raise your own children. Now, again, if your parents are sick, if they need care, you need to give them money, you need to, to help them. This is all wonderful and good. And getting together with them and having a healthy relationship with your wife's parents or with your parents, this is really good and godly. But you cannot be ruled by, and they cannot be making decisions for you. Um, I, I don't uh, fully endorse all of the values that are uh, presented on the NBC drama, uh, This Is Us. Uh, but I will admit to you uh, that I like this show. Uh, I like many things about it. And if you've, if you've ever seen the show, you know that there are a lot of dynamics that go on between adults and their adult children, and what is the relationship to the adult and the adult child. And um, uh, either this week or the week before, it was a really good scene where uh, Randall's wife, Beth, was opening a dance studio and Beth's mother showed up and she started to bark out orders as to what was going to happen. And Randall said to his mother-in-law, uh, he said, um, that's not what we're going to do. Um, you don't rule our lives. Uh, this is what we're going to do. And he walked away and then he came back and he said to his mother-in-law, I'm sorry for the tone in which I spoke to you. Uh, I should have spoken more politely, but the content stands. Um, and this is a tough thing, guys, 
to, to speak to your mother-in-law uh, to, to get her out of your life, so to speak. But this is the design of God. Honor your father and mother, but do not be ruled by them. Number 14, do not become friends with people of the opposite sex. Do not become friends with a woman. Um, be friendly, be polite, but do not become friends. This is where jealousy enters the marriage. This is how adultery happens. Um, even if it begins totally in an innocent way, there is no reason for you to individually be friends with someone of the opposite sex. You do not need to be texting them. You don't need to be calling them. You don't need to be meeting up with them for lunch. Uh, Ephesians 5.3, but sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. In other words, not even a hint, as is proper among saints. You say to me, well, you're a legalist. No, I, I, I'm not a legalist. I can't tell you the number of tears that I have seen cried in my presence and broken hearts that I have seen, which could have been avoided if men and women would simply listen to this. There is no reason for you to be friends with a woman. Um, uh, be a friend to your spouse. Now, if you... Uh, are friends with another couple, that, that, that's fine, but there is no reason for you to have an individual relationship with another woman. Number 15, seek accountability for your sins within marriage, yet at the same time protect the dignity of your spouse. Uh, if you need counseling in your marriage, that, that's great, but don't air your dirty laundry or throw your spouse under the bus. Uh, uh, don't call your friends and talk about things that are wrong with your wife. First uh, Peter 4, 8 says, love covers a multitude of sins. Now, there's plenty of things that you do not like about your wife. Okay. These things do not need to be talked about publicly. These things do not need to be aired to other people. You need to protect the dignity of your wife just as you would wish for your own dignity to be protected. Number 16, wrath and anger are indicators of serious problems and they must be redressed and they must be repented of. The longer I live, uh, the more I see the universal problem in homes where men have temper and anger problems. Screaming, throwing things, punching walls, uh, sometimes physical violence, uh, but just this sense of anger in a home. Uh, first of all, here's one thing to avoid. When this happens, it is not enough for you to say to your wife and to your children, even with tears, it is not enough for you to say, honey, I am so sorry. I promise you that that will never happen again. Right, it will never happen again as long as you feel the way you feel at that moment, but you know, based upon history, that you are not going to continue to feel that way in the future. For when that feeling of guilt dies and when you then uh, have it replaced with irritation, you're going to explode again. And please know that, that, that if these mark your life, you, you're, you're, not, you're not saved. 
you're not saved because one of the marks of an unsaved person, according to Galatians 5, 19 through 21, are outbursts of wrath. And James 1, 20 says that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so if you have an anger problem, what you need, here's the thing which will help you the most. It is accountability in the form of church discipline. Uh, we have a man in our church who just forever would lose his temper. He would punch the wall, and there are little there are holes all over the wall where he would punch them, or lamps that he would bust, screaming, and and every time, every time, oh, I am so sorry, even to the point of tears, crying, I am so sorry. Well, we we forgive you. And, uh, listen. If that is the case, it is not enough for you to say that you are sorry. You need help. You need counseling, biblical counseling. You need accountability. What you have done is forgivable, but what you have done is not preventable. And so, if there is an anger problem that you have, you have to get help. It is really serious. Number 17. Uh, I only have two left. Number 17, be in total agreement about financial matters and let your life reflect that. You know, I grew up in a home um, with Christian parents. My mother loved the Lord. My dad loved the Lord. My mother was raised on a farm, uh, had nothing growing up. And I swear, if you could see the way that my mother could stretch a dollar bill, I mean, not cheap, but brilliant, frugal, careful. Uh, my dad, godly, loved the Lord, uh, great man of prayer, great evangelist. I would not trust him with my money. Uh, he was a free spender, and, and the friction that I saw in my home growing up uh, where we had bills, and I come from a poor family where we had bills which could not be paid. Um, not that my dad was a malicious man. He, 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 he was not a drinker. He didn't spend his money on gambling. He just didn't manage his money well. The friction that I saw in my family based upon my, the fact that my, fa my mother and my father were not on the same page financially, uh, I never wanted to bring that into my own marriage. And so. What are you going to buy? Uh, what are you going to save? What are you going to spend? You have got to be one with your wife in that. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. It's not just talking about sex, but you've got to be of one mind when it comes to spending. So, budget. Uh, take a Dave Ramsey course. Uh, I mean, here's one rule that my wife and I have, which has saved us a lot. Uh, we, we, we have plenty of money now, but as I was telling you in the first session, there was a day when we didn't. Here's my basic rule of thumb. Never, under any circumstances, ever, for any reason, ever, should you ever have a credit card balance which goes from one month to the next. Amen. Never, ever, ever 
buy anything which you cannot pay for at the end of the month ever for any reason whatsoever. It brings nothing but debt, and debt brings heartache. The two reasons which I see, well, there's three. In-laws, sex, and money. This is why people come to see a biblical counselor in marriage. In-laws, sex, and money. Money, guys, you've got to be on the same page with your wife. And finally, finally, number 18, the gospel is of first importance. So, so we can look at all of the how-tos, like spend your money right, don't make friends with, with other people, uh, uh, but, but, but the power to live out a marriage is not in these practical how-tos. In fact, I might even be wrong in some of the things that I said. But the power to live out a, a marriage comes from the Holy Spirit. Uh, that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have to look to Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what did he do? He gave himself for her. See, I've given you 17 important tips. Prayer, selflessness, sex, communication, divorce, forgiveness, admitting you're wrong, working hard around the house, male leadership, rebuke, church involvement, hospitality, in-laws, friendships, accountability, wrath, money. They're all important. They're all important. But the key is we have to have them in proper perspective, and that is that all of them fall under the lordship of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. You can go through all of these mechanical things in trying to care for and love your wife, but at the end of the day, where does the power come from to love your wife as Christ loved the church? It is from the gospel. So, Remember number one, pray together. Remember number 18, the gospel. That's the bread that holds the sandwich together, okay? Start praying together. Start applying the gospel. If there's something in the middle you can use, well, good, that's a bonus. But, but, but the anchor is the gospel. Look to Christ. Father in heaven, thank you for allowing us just to consider this wonderful subject of marriage. Lord, we thank you for our wives. We pray, dear God, that for your glory we would be better. We'd be better in our relationships with them, and that we would reflect the gospel in the way that we love and care for them and give ourselves uh, to our wives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.